It's God and politics from giants to Jesus. And I'm your host, Dr. Tamara Grove. Welcome back. So when we were together last time, we were discussing Psalm 22 and the prophetic word that it was for the coming of Jesus. Um, there was this moment in time where Jesus cries out to the Father and he, and he says, Why have you forsaken me? And it really was a conversation that the Pharisees understood when Jesus yelled that out because they understood scripture and they knew Psalm 22. And what Christ was saying was, it's, I haven't been left here. The Father has not forsaken me. Um, in fact, he heard my cry and he is responding. So what I said at the end there was, um, I was discussing Ephesians um, where Paul talks about in 3, 9, and 10, and he says um, that there's this, where we are to make this manifold wisdom known to the powers and authorities. And so, like, what? how does this all come together, and what does this all mean? Um, well, I want to add something extra in today, um, because it's a special day, actually. This is the last day of Adar. It is the Hebrew month of Adar. Um, and it ends tomorrow, which is Wednesday um, evening at sunset. And then we go into the month of Nisan. And so what is Adar? Adar is the month that uh, Purim happened. And uh, Adar is the month where Moses was born and Moses uh, passed away. So um, there's all these historical things in Jewish history that we as believers should be aware of. So Purim, if you don't know what that is, that is actually a, a festival now, but what it is is it's a celebration of when Esther um, and Mordecai and the Jewish people defeated Haman and the Amelekites. Um, and if you remember, it's, a, it's in a nice little book called Esther <laughs> for the queen. Mordecai was actually in the lineage um, of, of Saul. So uh, Mordecai actually came down the line and was actually in the lineage of kings and, and, uh, and should have been a king um, over Israel. But we know that Saul had some troubles and, and um, was corrupted basically and then really just kind of became possessed. So Mordecai He's actually, he's a, he's a very honorable man all throughout Esther. He, the description of him is he's a, he's an honorable man. He's a watchman on the gate and uh, it's a, it's a very important position and he's always, uh, he's aware of what's happening. He's looking for the enemy. Um, and at one point he gets rewarded for, um, for finding the enemy out and, and saving the life of the king. Um, so the Jews at this time with Mordecai and, Ex and Esther, um, they're actually captives. They've, they're um, under the, the crown of Ahasuerus, as I call him, um, or Xerxes, as some say. Um, and Ahasuerus, um, his first wife, um, Vashti, she didn't act right when he called her. Uh, to come and display herself before all of his people, she refused, and and he loved her, so he didn't kill her, which he could have. Instead, he set her aside, and he was looking for a new queen. And um, he happens to find in this year-long search, he finds Esther. 
Well, Esther is a Jew and um, Esther is advised by her uncle Mordecai to remain silent about her heritage. So this is one thing. Why would you, why remain silent about being a Jew? Like, what's the big deal? Okay. Um, so in the process um, um, of the whole year-long search, uh, Ahasuerus falls deeply in love with um, with um, Queen Esther. Or Esther, she's she's beautiful beyond beautiful, and she has some. There's something about her, and you know. So he marries her, and she becomes the next queen. We find out that there's this guy that is this right-hand man of Ahasuerus. His name is Haman, and he hates uh, Mordecai. He hates Mordecai. One of the things that his complaint is, is that Mordecai will not bow to him. He thinks everyone should bow to him. And Mordecai's like, I'm not bowing to you. Okay. And so, um, oh, that must be all there is to it, right? There's just that. He hates him and Mordecai won't bow. And so he goes to the king and he says, you should kill all these people. And they're evil and they're really against you. Is that really all the story? It's not. So let's talk about the Ameliakites for a minute because we just haven't thrown in enough stuff yet. Okay, so Haman is an Ameliakite and Haman hates Mordecai. So let's, let's just dig just a minute uh, regarding why there's really this real hatred and and it has to be more than just Mordecai is disrespectful to him. Okay, so the Ameliakites are actually, there's a history there of hatred towards the Jewish people in general. Saul um, is Mordecai's family. Okay, if you turn to 1 Samuel 15, and you start at the very beginning, um, you will find out that the Lord told Saul um, to obliterate the Ameliakites. Start at 2. It says, thus, says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in, op in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. So this goes way back, right? Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and, don and donkey. So Saul summoned the people, gets everybody together. And it says in seven, and Saul defeated the Ameliakites and it says like, you know, he beat them from here to there and back. Uh, but he took Agag, the king of the Ameliakites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So first of all, they determined what was going to be destroyed. The, the Lord, the Father said, kill everything. 
kill it all. Saul said, eh, you know, I don't know. That sheep over there looks pretty good. I think we're going to spare its little life. And so he kept it. Saul, because of his disobedience, um, the Lord actually regrets uh, making him king. Samuel comes in and he's like, why did you do this? And Saul was like, well, I did everything else. <laughs> and uh, Samuel's like, you needed to be obedient. The Lord requires obedience over sacrifice. And so um, this is where it basically is over for Saul. And the Lord is like, I regret doing this. And he, and he goes on to replace him with a different king. So there's this history. There's this fight with the uh, Amalek and people uh, when the um, Jews are coming out of Egypt. And now we're fast forwarding and we're here at Saul. And Saul decides that he's not going to take out the Amalekites. Um, and he's going to save some of the best. Okay, so question number one, sidestepping. Why on earth is God all about killing all these people? Um, it's something I, I addressed previously, but it's extremely important to everything that Paul was talking about in Ephesians and even Peter. First Peter, um, I think it's three. So the Ameliakites are actually giants. Giants, 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 yeah man, giants. Genesis 6, and again this is something I've discussed before on previous episodes, but let me just, let me just delve into this because uh, it's super important. So in Genesis 6, it's, um, talking about the increasing corruption on earth. And so I'm reading from the ESV. Um, I know last time I was talking about the Septuagint, which is an excellent source to look at as well when you're talking about Old Testament understanding of things. But just very briefly, Genesis 6 tells us that there was this, um, this multiplying uh, corruption on the earth. And... Um, there were these um, godly creation that were watching over um, the earth. They're, they're called the watchers. A um, couple places in the Bible and then in some extra uh, biblical studies that one could study from this, about this time period. So these daughters were attractive to these angelic beings that were created by God and um, they looked down and they're like yo hotties and they decided they made this um, decree that they were going to come in, come into these women and they basically um, had children with them and so these children it says it says in um, Genesis 6 and I'm just going to read the end because this is one of the things that always got me. I literally, I have it underlined and highlighted because for so long I just could not figure out what it was saying. 
And it says, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And uh, just right above that, it calls them the Nephilim. So these Nephilim are these um, these mixed race, uh, hybrid um, entities that are are on the earth. And so when you fast forward to First Samuel, and you're talking about the Lord saying, "Go out and do this thing," um, we're talking about the Meliakites who have um, lineage, who are related to, when you go back and, and you look at where they came out of, they are giants. And so um, this, is, this is also uh, recorded by um, when, when uh, Caleb and Joshua were sent out with the others to survey the land by Moses. And they came back with a report and they said, these guys are massive. And the Amelia Kites is mentioned among them. And they're like, these people will, they will destroy us. They're massive. Well, what are they talking about? And people say, oh, well, they were just um, exaggerating. No, the Bible, the Bible tells you they, they were giants. There were giants in the land. The Amelia Kites were giants. So there's even um, history of the women when um, David, you know, kill the giant, a Philistine. Um, the women were singing, oh, David has killed his tens of thousands of giants and Saul his thousands. And so they weren't exaggerating. So what we're talking about when we're dealing with Haman is he's an Ameliakite. He's a giant. And so Saul, way back when the, 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 you know, the, who Mordecai is a descendant from, he shames the whole line. He shames them uh, by being disobedient to the Lord. And so Saul, who was supposed to take out all of the Ameliakites, disobeys God. And in fact, the, the Samuel, um, the prophet, had to kill Agag. So, um, this lineage uh, continues. Now, why the women? Why the children? Why the animals? Because they were all mixed. They were all mixed breed. They were not, uh, their DNA had been altered. They were, they were, according to the word of God, they were not connected to God. So when he's saying, kill all these, the animal and the children and whatever, He's saying the, these things that are not from me. According to the word of God is that you have, uh, in Genesis 6, you have angelic beings crossbreeding with women. And, and they are making, and these babies that come from that um, are called Nephilim. And they are, in fact, giants. And so these giants existed on the land. This wasn't a good thing. If you, if you read on in Genesis 6, you'll see the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And then the Lord regretted to his heart that he had um, that he'd even made man on the earth. Man, that just breaks my heart. What had happened is that you have this crossbreeding going on. Man, you know, they always talk about like conspiracy theorists. If you were uh, like one of those that kind of jumped on the bandwagon in the back in the day um, with the whole conspiracy thing and, and QAnon and all of that, like jump onto this because this is actually legit. I'm um, not saying that some of those stuff that was said wasn't, but here's this. This is for real. This is the flood of Noah. That's why the flood happened is because of this evil. They were the, the people became so evil and it was because they were no longer the people of God. They were the people of this of these entities, the entities, the, the Nephilim. And so the Nephilim um, there was you know all kinds of stuff that was going on in the earth. And, uh, you know, the chimera, uh, we'll talk about that someday very soon. There were, there were uh, research and studies that were going on where they were crossbreeding animals and doing all kinds of wacky stuff. And the Lord was like, I'm wiping out everybody. Everybody about to die. Okay, so that's why the flood. That's why the flood is because it was no, he was no longer working with... Um, the people of God. The people of God had been crossbred and they were mutated. The Nephilim uh, were in those days and also afterward. My theory, which who am I, but my theory is and remains that the reason why the Nephilim could remain after the flood when the Lord tried to wipe everybody out um, was because they had been given legal access to be here uh, by Adam and Eve when they came into agreement in the garden. And so so we're here now and we have these Ameliakites who are giants who are evil. We know this to be true because of what I just read in Genesis 6. So all of these things are evil. And Saul's like, hey man, Oh, that sheep looks pretty good. And so he keeps it. And and many other animals. And so that's when the Lord was like, and you're done. So Mordecai and Haman have a real beef. And it goes back a long time. And Haman is a wicked and evil man, if we can call him that. He's a giant. Check out the size of the gallows that Haman built and how tall it is. Now, why would you need to do that? Hmm. Anyway, so Mordecai and Haman have this thing going on. Uh, he tells, As Mordecai tells Esther, don't tell anyone you're a Jew because Mordecai understands the, the evil in which Esther is living under because Haman is the right-hand man of the king. And so Mordecai is protecting his niece and he's saying, keep your mouth shut. Well, there comes a time when Haman has had enough of Mordecai and his unwillingness to bow before him. Now you think about that. 
Haman is a giant who thinks that he should be bowed before. This was part of the wickedness that went on with the giants. And they wanted to be treated like gods. And Haman wanted to be treated like God. Well, Mordecai doesn't see Haman as a god. And he's not going to bow before him. And Haman knows that's the reason. So fast forward, Esther um, is alerted to the situation. She says, what does this have to do with me? I'm just an innocent little girl. And Mordecai says, you either do this or your entire family is going to suffer. Now, why did he say that? Because that's what happened with Saul. He knows. He understands. And he's not messing around this time. And so... Esther goes before the, the, the king, she invites him over to eat, she has Haman over, and she can't do it the first time, she invites them in again, and this time she says, this dude is going to kill me and all of my people. And of course, Ahasuerus is totally like, what the world, and says, nope, nope, nope. And then one of the servants says, because the Hagiwaris was trying to figure out what to do with Haman, and one of the servants goes, hey, he's got a, some ga a gallow in his backyard. <laughs> and like, oh, uh, hang him on it. And so uh, Haman is, is wiped out, and, and as is his family. And, and then there's an edict sent out to what? Kill everyone all of the Amelia kites. Now this sounds familiar. So there's this other funny part that happens during this story and uh, prior, prior to the edict going out, um, the king is can't sleep one night and so he he says, come, come, bring in the books. Let me read the books. Well, remember I told you earlier that Mordecai was a watchman on the wall. Mordecai had found out that there was going to be this thing and it, uh, and it was, they were going to kill the king and, and Mordecai saved the king's life. Um, he alerted all, everyone and saved the king's life. Well, the king had never honored Mordecai for doing that. And so um, when they were reading through the books, this story was read to the king and he's like, whatever happened? Did we ever honor that one? And they were like, no, you, we have not. And the, who is it? And oh, it was Mordecai. Oh. And so the king was like, oh, okay, we need to honor him. And so the next day Haman comes in there and he's like, what's up? And the king said, hey, uh, what should be done for one who, who I should, whom the king should honor? You know, like, how should I honor one? And Haman thinks, oh, well, I would be, you know, like I'm a god, so you should want to honor me. And so he, he gives this, this list of things that the, the king should do to honor him. And it was, oh, he should ride your finest beast and he should put on the royal robes and a ring and someone should walk in front of the animal screaming, you know, oh, beloved, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and Ahasuerus goes, good idea. Do that for Mordecai the Jew. <laughs> That's the best ever. So Haman has to do this and... 
And, uh, you know, he's like out all day. Can you imagine that? That's so funny. Anyway, so then he comes home that night and he's like, Ugh, the Jew, what do I do? And that's when his wife was like, well, maybe you should build a gallow. And so they built this massive gallow. And so, wow, what a crazy story, right? Um, what really happened there? And I, and I don't and I, I don't want to miss this part because it's probably one of the bigger pieces of this is once you understand the story of what was really going down that that um, Saul was supposed to take out the Meliakites and he failed and he literally lost um, the, the his kingship um, because of that. And now you have a descendant of Saul in that position again. And his name is Mordecai. And he doesn't miss the opportunity. And he does take out all of the Ameliakites um, in the book of Esther. Because again, the, the, the edict was for um, a whole lot of death and destruction. Like everybody was supposed to die. But again, remember... They're mixed blood. It's not about the color of their skin. It's not about the food that they eat. It's about their DNA. And so um, so he takes out um, the family and, and their line is redeemed. And, and we say a lot about Esther and Ham, hey, I'm all about that. But I just want you to understand that this picture was a redemption, a restoration of a family line because of obedience of these people. And they weren't just killing people, they were literally fighting giants. You know, the other um, super important part of this is, is the father. And how the father keeps his word. And um, back in Exodus, when I believe it was 17, when uh, the fight had occurred with Amalek and them. Um, and remember, that's the, that's the battle where um, Moses, they were holding up Moses and his arms. And as the battle went on, they were winning and then they were losing and then they were winning and then they were losing. This is a, a, a fight against giants. And um, the promise of the Lord at that time, he said to Moses, he said, make note of this in the presence of Joshua that uh, he would remember it as well. The Lord said, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet. I'm going to destroy this, this people. And, um, and he, he did. And you, were, and you have to remember... Um, after this time with uh, with Mordecai and, and Esther, the Ameliakites never mess with the the Israelites again. And so, um, so anyway, so amazing story. Far more than we than we ever probably have been told, and that's the that's the amazingness of when you really start to dig into the Word, and you let the Word tell you what it's telling you. When we really start to look at these people who were writing the Word of God in the time and season in which they were writing, they all believed what I'm saying to you right now. They all knew what I'm telling you right now, and we don't know. So let's fast forward um, and talk a little bit 
more about um, where I was ending last time, which is in Ephesians. When Paul, he speaks on more than one occasion uh, in Ephesians about the, uh, that we battle not against flesh and blood. That, that we actually are battling against these, these principalities, this darkness, these cosmic powers. Like what? Cosmic powers? What are, you, what are you saying? And how does one battle against a cosmic power? Well, um, lo and behold, we're still fighting giants. So let's just go there really fast so that we don't get mixed up. So if, in Ephesians 6... In um, 10, 6, 10, Paul is saying to put on the whole armor of God. And he says um, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, and then if you, if you just um, jump to Ephesians 3, um, it says in 10, if I was in the right spot, okay, it says, um, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read 9. And to bring to the light for everyone what is the plan and the, of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, who created all things, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right, so I, I spent a lot of time on the Nephilim, and I, and of course, I mean, we are talking about from giants to Jesus, so we are going to be doing that. I said in Psalm 22 last time, and a little bit this time, where uh, this prophetic word is being made known to the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests as they're standing there when Jesus is being crucified and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Psalm 22. Um, I also told you last time in the last episode that when Jesus was saying that, he wasn't just talking to them. He was making it known to the authorities, to the principalities that were also there. And they would soon regret their decision to crucify him. So Paul talks a lot about these, about these creatures in heavenly places. Well, who on earth is he talking about? Okay, well, let me just blow your mind here for a minute if I haven't done enough of it already. So in your Bible, you're going to read words like Nephilim, Raphaim, Achaeum, these are all giants. They're all mentioned in, in the Word of God. And, and as we go through these, this series from, from giants to Jesus, we're going to be talking more and more about them. But I just want, I want you to know that Paul already understood. Paul knew what he was talking about because he had already read the Septuagint. He already understood what the battle was really about. And he was saying, hey, you guys, we're not fighting each other. We're not fighting people who are different colors than us. We're not fighting people who, 
who have different cultures, who eat different foods, who live on different spaces on the earth, were fighting these principalities, the Nephilim. We're fighting the Nephilim. It says in Genesis 6 that they would remain afterwards, even after the flood. So the Nephilim, if you were to read um, 1 Enoch, which Paul read, um, if you were to read 1 Enoch, you would understand that what they were taught is that the Nephilim, because of the fact that they, they weren't actually human, there was no place for them to go. They're demons now. So when you when they would die, when they would be when these giants were killed, they would become disembodied. They were the disembodied giants who have no place to go. So they're literally roaming looking for people to possess to con to continue to carry out their demonic activity. Oh my gosh, does that sound nuts? I don't know. What's a spirit of fear that we weren't given? You know, there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that when you stop to think about it, like, what's that even about? Well, it's about these disembodied uh, Nephilim, these disembodied spirits that are roaming, that are in heavenly places. These cosmic powers, these principalities, these darknesses, this darkness. This is who we're dealing with. Paul says it's not people. So when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said to them and to the Pharisees, I'm going to make it known to you. I'm going to make it known to you, authorities in this earth, that what you just did to me now opens up a door for my people to come back to me because the door never existed before because of Adam and Eve. And it's hard to understand how profound that is until you understand the battle that he was really fighting. When people say, God, you know, Jesus really didn't do what he said he was going to do. He didn't really take out the nations. He didn't, he didn't clobber the Romans. He didn't, he didn't sit on the, the throne. He didn't do all that stuff. I tell you what. He accomplished every single thing that he said he was going to accomplish in that season. He absolutely defeated the kingdoms. And he made a way for us where there was no way. We could not get to him. Deuteronomy 32.8 tells us that the Lord um, at Babel, he set boundaries and he set kingdoms in place. And he put these angelic beings, entities, over these kingdoms, it's 70 nations. He set them over the nations. And then the Lord went out and he carved himself out a people. He pulled out Abraham out of Mesopotamia. He pulled him out and he carved a people out of Abraham. If you didn't confess his God to be your God, then you were forever under these entities who had gone completely rogue. And if it weren't, weren't for Jesus coming in the manner in which he came, we would be without hope. 
and there, there would be no way off the ride. So what he did, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He wasn't messing around. He saved us. He saved our lives. If you're ever looking for a superhero, we have one. Without a cape. And that's pretty cool. I look forward to talking to you next time where we talk God and politics from giants to Jesus. Hang on, man. We're just getting rolling. I'm so glad you were here with me today. If you enjoyed my show, please give me a like, a thumbs up, subscribe. And if there's a space, comment away because I would love to hear what you have to say. Thank you and God bless you.